0: Welcome to the Data for Betterment podcast, Reimagine Hybrid Work, with your host, Maribel Lopez. Maribel is the founder of the Data for Betterment Foundation and Lopez Research. The Data for Betterment Foundation is a nonprofit organization that helps individuals understand and prepare for how their career will change as companies embrace new technologies. Lopez Research, a market research and strategy consulting firm, helps companies understand how technologies such as connected devices, collaboration, cloud computing, and AI change the customer and employee experience. The firm's clients range from startups to global corporations, including 10 of the Fortune 30. She's also the author of the highly regarded business book on how those technologies are transforming the company, employee, and customer experience, right time experiences, published by Wiley. She's also a frequent public speaker at corporate events and contributor at Forbes.com. Maribel is currently researching and writing her next book on how to build successful strategies for workplace transformation. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Reimagine Hybrid Work podcast. I am so excited to be here today with Zias Caravella. Apparently, I'm always so excited to be with people, but really it's true. Um, Zia and I have known each other for such a long time. We're not going to say how long we've known each other, but it's been a long time. We've been analysts together, going through all these different conferences, traveling to occasionally not-so-interesting places together in in the lure of uh, technology wisdom. So, Zias, welcome to the podcast. Zias, tell us a little bit about who you are and your firm.
2: Yeah, thanks, Maribel. And uh... It, it is interesting that we actually used to live in the same town, but I don't think we ever met in that. We, we tend to just always to meet somewhere else at a different conference, so that's kind of funny. But, and thanks for having me on. As as mentioned, I'm Zia the founder of my own research firm, ZK Research, kind of like you are with Lopez Research. I don't tend to have a very a well-defined coverage area like most analysts do. I cover the aspects of networking, security, and communications, but I really only look at the emerging parts of it, right? So... My coverage area tends to ebb and flow by what's keeping up buyers up at night and what they're struggling with. So the way I've always likened it is if the value you want from the analyst is how many widgets did you sell, there's a lot of firms that do that really well. And I'm not one of those. But if you want to understand how where the next disruption's coming from in those segments and how the vendor landscape might change, and how buying criteria might change, that's that's sort of my speech spot.
1: I think you and I have very similar viewpoints on, on how to cover a market. And one of the things I think is great about our market is there's so many different ways it can be covered, right? You can cover it from a specific technology. You can cover it from market share and sizing. You can cover it from strategy. And I know that you know with, with this, this is the Reimagine Hybrid Work podcast. But we have actually went to a lot of different technology conferences that's really spoke about a lot of the different things. But at the end of the day, I think they all relate. So I think we're going to try to draw a red thread for the audience through those. But let's see, in the past two weeks, we've had Dell Technology World, IBM Think, uh, Microsoft Business App Summit, Nine did an Analyst Day. I know we just had a Cloudera uh, Spring update recently. Zias, did I miss anything? I mean, I think we had a lot yeah. going on.
2: Pure storage actually had their event, too, and some of the announcements coming there were some. I don't know so there, there might have been some others, but there's been a lot of
1: them. <laughs> it's been a lot of it. it it's
2: this is actually this week too. So
1: yes, yeah, um, so, and I have to make sure that I uh, I let you uh, get off so that you can jump on to that. But let us start with with Dell. Dell Technologies. I mean, you know, we think of Dell as a computer company, and then we think of Dell as the infrastructure and cloud company. I think they focus this Dell technology world pretty heavily on what they're calling Project Apex, which is sort sure of their equivalent of cloud infrastructure anywhere, uh, uh, either on-premises or working with Rackspace to have it co-located. I mean, Zias, give me some of your perspective on you know, how do you how do you see this whole Apex thing or, or Dell tech world in general rolling out?
2: And it was a pretty interesting uh, Dell tech world. They did talk about Apex last year, right? They kind of foreshadowed that. And what it is, is it's Dell as a service, right? And HP had moved to that model a little while ago, and there's a growing trend in the industry to be able to buy infrastructure on a consumption basis. And so we're really moving into an era where everything's a service. And Dell, you know, it was late, a little bit late to the game here, so this was their attempt to catch up. It was, a, it was pretty compelling offering to software as a managed service, as you mentioned, directly through Dell or through one of the partners that want to use rack space, but now customers can buy anything Dell, compute, storage, whatever, as a service. And I think it aligns very nicely with the direction the world's going where companies now are trying to focus a little bit more on their business operations and less about running a tech shop. When you think about the struggles that IT's always had to when they consume technology, it's do you buy technology for the here and now, in which case I'm gonna run out of capacity in a few months, or do I buy it for two years from now, in which I'm going to significantly overpay today, but I'm okay in a couple of years, unless maybe things change and I don't quite get there. And then in that case, i have overspent. Apex lets customers buy what they want now, but then grow into it as they want. I think it aligns much better to the, you know, just the general direction that IT purchases and going, which was led by the cloud world. So now we can apply that cloud model infrastructure. So for me, one
1: of the things I see is, is So interesting. You mentioned this concept of everything as a service. So if we think out, we go out like five years from now, everybody's talking about the future of work. One of the things I think organizations have really struggled with is between now and the five years, we don't know how much of anything we're going to need. We don't know if we're going to need a a lot of buildings with a lot of data infrastructure. We don't know if we want to have everything in the public cloud. A lot of people are struggling with this notion of I've got to have some data on my premises or uh, I don't really know what the economics model is of putting everything in a public cloud. So I think the the best thing we got out of the concepts that Dell's doing with Apex and you know HPE with GreenLake and other things is this concept of finally you get to have it your way. You don't have to have it the Microsoft way, or the Amazon way, or the IBM way—it's kind of like any any way that you want to have it. You can mix and match those models. So if you want public cloud, you can go with public cloud. If you want private, you can find a way to make private more cost effective and scale up, scale down as you need. So that's been pretty compelling. So okay, well we're going to transition out of that for a moment because we do have a lot to cover and maybe we could talk a little bit about IBM. You know, IBM has been doing Think for a lot of years. It's typically been a really interesting AI event. I've always looked forward to hearing what's going on with AI uh, at that event. And this year, one of the things that I saw them announce that I thought was particularly interesting was this concept of, you know, IBM orchestrate. I think one of the trends that this is flowing into is this concept of how do you create you know new workflows, and one of the one of the issues we've had is that workflows were always within a silo within an application. Now we're trying to get to a part where they're more intuitive and they cross applications and they they just do what they're supposed to do. See when you heard this, was this kind of a sense of the ethos of what they were trying to do, or how did you view the orchestrate announcement?
2: I liked the orchestra announcement i it was branded I think Watts orchestrate and For people that didn't follow the news, it's you can almost think of it as, you know, robotic process orchestration meets low code, no code, right? So it's a way for users to be able to automate more of their functions. And the the thing with one of the interesting aspects of work from home that that you cover so well is that there's so many tools that people use today, right? It's like we had tool explosion as we move people to home. We use workday, we use Slack, we use Salesforce, we use you know, Zoom, things like that. And it becomes very difficult for a user to be able to perform even simple tasks like scheduling a meeting because you've got to look in five different places to see how to reach somebody and how to, you know, whether they're available or not. And so what Orchestrate does is it lets users through a low-code interface be able to, in natural language processing, be able to do something like send an invoice or create a, you know, create a calendar invite or something without having to go through those 58 steps. And in an effort to be more productive, we've added so many tools to the worker's palette that we're almost getting to a point where we're spending... In fact, I saw a study from a company called Workfront last year, Maribel, that stated that 40% of a worker's time today is spent just managing work, right? And, and you know what that's like, I'm sure, because everyone yes. work with that, it has their own tool. Right. And so what Orchestrate does is it cuts across those tools and is able to use AI to be able to help you manage tasks that that are cross-tool oriented. And and that to me is a big thing because I think we're 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 putting users. It, I've always said if the user is the integration point for technology, yeah. that technology is going to fail. And more and more we're relying heavily on the user to be the that integration point. And so that kudos to IBM. I, I think when you were attending the conference, I was a little persnickety. And I said that, you know. IBM hasn't done any innovative since Watson, right? So here they go. So we'll we'll see if this is going to be one of the things that brings them back.
1: I I, I mean, it's a very challenging market for everybody right now. It's moving so quickly. And I love the theme that you're picking up on of the human being the integration point, because even in our world, we probably, if you just take a simple example, if you're dealing with your customers, you probably have five different video web conferencing apps that you're working with them on. And then you have to deal with all the chat functions and where does the data live? So it's been very challenging. And I think we also saw a similar theme get picked up with Microsoft. So you mentioned the low-code, no-code. And I have to be honest, I was kind of down on low-code, no-code, because it's not our first rodeo on this, right? We had this technology before, Now what I see happening is obviously there's been an evolution of it. There's also large companies like Microsoft and IBM kind of throwing in pretty heavily. And at the Business Apps Summit, one of the things that really came through to me was this concept of Microsoft has something called the Power Platform, which is really their low-code, no-code. And they've also integrated business intelligence and other things in that. But it was certainly a thread through... You know, the Business App Summit usually highlights a lot of what actual customers are doing with Microsoft business applications. And it was typically, you know, your dynamics show talking about uh, CRM and, and financials. While that's all still true, what's really interesting is how they're using things like the Power Platform and low-code, no-code to actually help as you mentioned earlier, employees figure out, you know, they can create their own workflows. They can have integrations that matter for them in their business. So I think this has been very powerful. I still look at it and think, well, am I a citizen developer? Could I be a citizen developer? And then I say, well, you know, not everything's about what Maribel can or can't do, right? (laughs) Uh, But I will say that there are definitely people within these organizations that are building some very compelling New apps that's sort of leading the way with digital transformation using low code, no code. So that that's been really exciting. So that was another big outcome of the past two weeks.
2: I, I actually think one of the problems with low code, no code is that it was code <laughs> <Right? It's> like, <laughs> like things like Slack and it's like well, that's low code, no code, but you got to put like all the hashtag commands and slash commands. To I me, mean, that's code, right? And so you you lose a lot of the audience when you do that. And I think with the, what IBM's done is they have an NLP interface, too, where you can just type in simple English what you want, right? Send an invoice to Maribel Lopez, something like that, and it'll do all the heavy lifting for you. And so I think that's, you know, we're all the coding behind the scenes. So I think I don't blame it for being down or not because it really wasn't low-code no-code. It was a sort of moderate code. (laughs)
1: Modern code. I like that. That that makes a lot of sense. We've also seen contact centers been, you know, in the in the reimagined hybrid work concept, you know, contact center used to be very much in the building. And with the pandemic it had to leave the building. That forced many people to look at cloud computing as something that they could be using, not not cloud, the infrastructure, but contact center in the cloud. So we were both just at the five nine analyst day. And I know that you've actually been looking on and off at the contact center space for a while. What do you see as the big changes in that area?
2: Yeah, this to me is one of the more exciting spaces. And as I opened up with, I only cover a version of tech. And so the contact center is what I've looked at for a long time, but frankly, it was pretty boring. <laughs> Uh, there, there wasn't really any change going on in contact center for a long time. But now with the shift to cloud, the value is much, much different right? well, because the, in addition to faster evolution, because if you think of when it was in the building, these platforms were built on hardware. They were voice only, right? Um, uh, it took a very specialized type of workforce to be able to, to use it. It provided a role of inbound customer calls. Now, because it's in the cloud and it's microservices-based and it's all software, innovation has been much faster than this. But a couple driving forces. One, obviously, is artificial intelligence, which is driving everything. So now instead of – and I think we've all experienced this, that when we're interacting with companies today, sometimes you talk to a bot, right? And the experience you get is quite different from one company to another. Some bots are good, some aren't. And I, I also think that some companies tend to overuse it. My advice to companies is anything that's sort of simple – High frequency, low complexity, perfect for a bot. Anything that's higher complexity, don't you know? have that go to an agent. One of the really undertold stories of contact center, though, has been the use of contact center by non-contact center people. And that has really increased the TAM in this market. I had talked to one company that moved 50 contact center agents from all 50 of their contact center agents to cloud, and they provisioned 100 more seats. That included field service, salespeople, marketing people, inside sales, account managers. And so anybody that really had a you think a good way to think of was anybody with a Salesforce.com account should have contact center access. And that wasn't possible before because you had to be in building. But today, because it's in the cloud, it's possible. And so one of the things that it's changed that is now the, those alternative roles don't need the same view. Or they require a different view than what an agent, a contact center agent, might see. And so now we're starting to see the contact center agents roll up their own low code, no code interfaces. Uh, Talkdesk roll up their own. Five nine bought a, a company called Windu or Windu. Uh, Cisco bought IMI Mobile, which which brings that capability as well. So there's more and more of of that coming into in the contact center. And it supports my thesis that uh, if you want to know where contact center and communications is going follow the general application space, and then it'll happen a couple of years later because in the world of communications, it tends to trail business applications, primarily because it's very conservative. But I I do think contact center is one of the more exciting spaces because the applicability has grown, the value of it has grown because customer service is now the number one brand differentiator for companies. And then the data that's been integrated into how highly access, it has also changed. And so it's it's a very exciting space today, much more so than ever before.
1: I'm totally with you on that. It's one of those things, when I think about two spaces that just saw a real boom in the past year and a half, it would have to be collaboration and contact center. I mean, we we had certainly talked about collaboration forever, and I think it started to feel a little stale. Then we went deep into video. And now what I see people really trying to focus on is like, okay, we're not just trying to focus on getting people to do video. Now we're talking about immersive experiences. Now we're talking about AI assisted experiences with real time transcription into multiple languages and capturing actions. And when I think of the contact center, you know, we're thinking about how do we get to the next level of workforce engagement. We talked a lot about sort of AI automation to take, you know, the lame tasks off of people's plates, not to replace agents, but to make agents give them more focus with the customer. So I think we've got a lot of interesting things going on there. We also have the ability to start doing predictive and assistive stuff. I mean, that's kind of been the holy grail that, you know, I was talking about with right time experiences, right information, right person, right time. It always was missing this machine learning and AI piece. And I think what I'm looking at now that we're starting to really see and and you've mentioned some of these, some of those practical applications of AI, not like the way out stuff where it's doing fundamentally different things, but you know, the here and now stuff where you can you can get an agent to the right person, you can give them the right information that they need, you can give them the right cross-sell, upsell if that's the right thing, you can give them the right discounting or refunding, or just get through the process. Faster, and then you can help the people that are managing a very diverse, distributed group of people the ability to see who's doing well and to figure out the best ways to help them so that you can improve employee retention. So, we've had a lot of great stuff that's happened in the past couple of weeks. Any closing thoughts about what excites you in the market right now?
2: Yeah, I think a good way to to, to think about AI, Mirabella, is, uh, is it's and while we all have this nirvana. Where everything will be fully automated, that's kind of the nirvana. Of the Elon Musk changed, but was the fully autonomous vehicles. But we, today we don't have cars that have no no steering wheel, no driver, no controls right? We but what we do have is a lot of assistive technology to make the process. Easier. Think of parallel park assist. Think of lane change alert. Think of heads up displays, things like that. And I think that's what we're that that's really some of the exciting stuff that's coming into AI today. Whether it's used in AI operations, whether it's used in contact center, collaboration, AI is here to make our lives easier through the analogies of those safe driving programs. So for an agent, it's giving me the right data when I need it. When we're collaborating, it's being able to translate real you know, time and transcribe so I don't have to anymore, right? Things like that. So I, I think a lot of the fear out there around AI was, was going to you know, kill jobs and things like that. In fact, what it is, it's just it's making our lives easier and we should think of it that way not as something that's um, going to take over the world. The change in cloud that we, we didn't, that may be worth a hold on the podcast, but clouds were centralized data stores before, right? Where all your, um, uh, your your workloads were very persistent, your data was persistent, and it was really kind of an alternative to on-prem computing. Where clouds are going now is this distributed model where we're bringing in more edges. And edge computing is, much different than traditional computing because it's a femoral nature. You tend to run workloads there in containers for just a few minutes, just a few hours, right? And so that changed the way you connect, changed the way you secure. And so I think that's kind of an interesting space to watch. The other one's 5G, and you could argue that edge computing and 5G kind of go hand in hand. But more and more, I'm talking to companies looking at 5G, bringing 5G inside the enterprise for mission-critical wireless connectivity versus Wi-Fi, which tends to be pretty flaky. So this you know, there's no shortage of things going on here. And, uh, you know, if I was an IT practitioner and, uh, you know, I did that before I was as an analyst. I, I I think it'd be very challenging today to continue to look around the corner and see what's coming because there's a lot of stuff coming.
1: That's true. So if they, people wanted to find you, uh, Twitter handle, LinkedIn? Yeah,
2: Twitter handle at uh, Caravalla, uh, ZKresearch.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn at Z, uh, So.
1: Perfect. And I'm at Maribel Lopez on Twitter and Maribel Lopez on LinkedIn. Hope you are all well. Thanks for listening. Thank you.